Hello, I'm Susan Swan, and you're listening to All Writers Are Con Men, a Dead Celebrities Club podcast. Today I'll be reading from my new novel, The Dead Celebrities Club, which is now on sale in Canada, wherever good books are sold. In this opening chapter, my character, Dale Paul, explains his predicament to the reader. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Dale Paul. Not Dale, not Paul, but two names together like the Pope. I was born in an age of swindlers, a time when fraud was as natural to the human race as breathing. Tonight, Mother has fallen asleep in her chair, her dinner tray on her lap, her snores rising and falling with the soft pestering sound of the rain on the windows. Outside, thunderheads lie across the Adirondacks. Twilight has brought a late spring storm. I spot one or two misty lights across Strawberry Lake. Well, maybe three. It doesn't matter. The reporters are still out there in the darkness. Perhaps you think I deserve their contempt. Or perhaps you too believe in getting what is owed you, but aren't brave enough to admit it. If that is the case, then you should keep listening. Unlike mother who remains stuck in the rut of binary oppositions, assuming things are either this way or that, I know there is always a third alternative, the somewhat murky nether region the creative in-between, in other words, where I often find myself living, a zone that lends itself to playful experiments. But tonight I'm at a loss. How did I get myself into this position? Before you can murmur the phrase wire fraud, I have been convicted and sentenced to 12 years in a low-security prison. If my old friend Earl were here, he would know what to do. When I left the land of the pessimists for the land of the optimists to make my fortune, it was Earl who encouraged me to improve my prospects. He picked me up at LaGuardia in his limo and said he wanted to sell me a house he bought for his mistress, Kimberly Roderick. She sat between us in Earl's limousine a tired-looking blonde woman who worked in Manhattan real estate. Although she didn't have much to say about buying houses that day, she knew Earl was going to give her the money from the sale because he was planning to marry his newest conquest, a former Miss Universe who disliked Earl's habit of acquiring women like racehorses and then dumping them when they demanded too much of his time. Kimberly's 13-bedroom mansion was pleasingly located on the north shore of Long Island. And as soon as Earl's limo passed the village of Flower Hill, I knew I'd be happy just to be in the environs, smelling the ocean air with the other money men, such as myself, the investment bankers, the lawyers, and the scions of wealthy families whose riches go back through the generations. I was struck by the river birches and butternut hickories shading the blacktop roads. The surfeit of trees evoked a primeval age 
when the Montauks had the run of the place. Centuries before the money barons built louche monstrosities along the old aboriginal paths. We drove through Sands Point and then turned down Half Moon Lane, where a for sale sign was visible in front of Kimberly's house. Modeled after a Hotel de Ville in Normandy, the mansion's gables and its singular eyelet window in the third-story roof. Those were new features of the old style. As the ad in the real estate magazine said, there were too many features to list. Fireplaces of imported Italian marble, heated floors, classic chef's kitchen, two refrigerators, two freezers, two dishwashers, and two hemlock wood islands adjacent to the butler's pantry. There was also a sauna with a massage room, a wine cellar, and heated paths to the Rockefeller Rose Garden, along with the four-car garage with double mahogany doors. Admiring the wisteria vine climbing up the pillars of the veranda, I imagined my own name set off by a garland of gold rosettes on the tall stone columns that supported the wrought iron gates. Already I was known for betting large amounts of money on small overlooked companies with growth potential. I had founded Questus Capital, doubling the pension money I'd borrowed from the family firm by buying and selling undervalued corporations that were broken up and sold off in parts, far exceeding the purchase price paid for the whole. Here in Sands Point, I would be free, far from the jolly faces around the tables in northern boardrooms, that host of sleepy poobahs who stared blankly at me when I explained derivatives such as interest rate swaps. Across Long Island Sound sparkled the world's greatest metropolis, with its thundering horde of school teachers and politicians and television producers and bank managers and receptionists and waitresses and bellhops and taxi drivers and out-of-work pizza delivery boys. Oh, an army of willing bodies and minds who believed the world was still a decent place. They were waiting for me and I was ready for them. Thank you for listening to All Writers Are Conmen, a Dead Celebrities Club podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure you subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts. For all the latest news and updates, connect with me on social media, on Facebook at Susan Swan Online, on Instagram at Biggest Modern Writer, and on Twitter at Swanscribe. If you read and enjoyed The Dead Celebrities Club, please consider leaving me a review on Goodreads or Amazon. And thank you again for listening.